I have really good news for y'all tonight. God is not dead, and he's not sick. You ever hear anybody say that, God is dead? Well, he's alive and well, he's in the heavens, and he's in control of everything, no matter what we think, what goes on in the world, what goes on in our country right now. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, but that's only because God lets him. It's all going to come out right. God is the great arbitrator of the universe. Everything's going to come out right. We go through things now. We worry about uh, COVID, worry about the economy, and all these different things that we're worried about. Worried about people trying to get rid of Christians, all religion, churches, try to limit the their services where they can't even meet, can't even sing in a church. And throughout history, things like that have happened. There have been times in history where there have been imperial edicts issued to eliminate every Bible in the world. But today there's more Bibles than there ever were. Or to eliminate Christians, but we're still here. And so there's all kinds of things going on in our country. But God is in charge. I said last time, he's large and in charge. He's in charge of everything. And he's the greatest being of which no greater being can be conceived. And he's all-powerful, all-knowing. He knows every single thing about you, even the number of hairs on your head. And he watches out for you. You think about COVID or illnesses or things like that. Does God heal people? Does he heal everybody? Um... People don't all get healed, everybody, every time. There are reasons for that. Well, I wish I had time to explain. But people have people in, say, convalescent homes. You know, it's a bad joke, but people refer to some of these places as roach motels because people check in, but they don't check out. You know what I mean? And it's usually the last stop for a lot of people. But guess what? God is in convalescent homes. He's everywhere. And he knows all about your illnesses, sicknesses, if you happen to get it. And God heals people out of compassion. All through the scriptures, he would heal people out of compassion. He would heal people just because of who he is. He's the Lord that healeth, the Bible says. But also, you're his children. And God heals people because of his parental care for his children. He'll take care of you because you're his child. You say, you mean I'll get sick and uh, and he'll just take care of me and I won't die? Not necessarily. And when it comes to convalescent homes and like that, think about this. I thought uh, Mr. Bieber was going to steal my thunder for a second. God delivers sometimes from death. Sometimes he delivers by death. You say, oh, I'm a Christian. I have a relative, a friend, 97 years old. He's in a convalescent home. I'm praying that he's going to be healed. And God didn't heal him. What's the matter with God? There's nothing wrong with God. He's all wise. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't make any mistakes. If he heals the person, then that's great. If he healed him by death, that's even greater. Like the Apostle Paul said, to die is gain. Uh, Christians can't lose. Everything is, is good for us. Things are just absolutely crazy out in the public. 
with all these riots and everything. I wish I could take an hour and tell you why I think people riot and why they act the way that they they do. And uh, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. I've heard it twice tonight. People say that. And I'm going to say something similar to that. My fear is what people always tell Christians. If I was drowning, instead of throwing me a life preserver, you'd throw me a Bible. You ever heard that? Well, that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to throw you some some Bible verses, uh, and that'll help us. Um, I can't help but think about Peter and certain of the disciples and believers. They were out on the Sea of Galilee, and there was a, a storm, a giant storm. Like, we're in a storm now in our country with all this stuff going on. The whole country may be heading towards socialism, which never works, and all these different problems with disease and like that, and rioting and all that. And um, Peter and the disciples were in a ship out on the Sea of Galilee in a storm, and they were scared out of their mind. But then they looked, and Jesus was walking towards them on the water. They had a problem. He was coming to them. And Peter had his eyes on Jesus as he was coming. He must have got a little boost of faith there. Decided to step out the boat. And then for a second, he took his eyes off Jesus. And then what happened? <laughs> he started to sing. So my, my point is, keep your eyes on Jesus no matter what's going on. Uh, keep your eyes on him and on the things of God. Uh, the Bible tells us that the things of earth, you know, uh, lay up for yourselves not treasures on earth where thieves break through and steal, where moths corrupt and all that, but lay up for yourself treasures in, in heaven where neither moths corrupt and uh, thieves don't break through and steal. Because where your heart is, uh, it should be in heaven. Set your affections on things above. The things of this world, you'll see, don't have a whole lot of meaning. And I wish I could talk more about that. Now, I want to talk tonight about this. How many of you, by raise of hands, how many of you believe in God? You believe in God. Okay, that's good. All these things that we talk about, all the things we sing about, mean nothing to you if you don't believe in God. You know, keep your eyes on Jesus. Why? He's God. Well, I don't believe that. You know, and... So i got to ask, how many of you believe in God? What I want to know is, if somebody backed you in a corner and said, why do you believe in God, what would you tell them? That's a better answer than a lot of people give. Anybody else have an answer? Why do you believe God? Why do you believe there's a God? Huh? Yeah. People say, well, because I feel them in my heart. Well, that's, they'll say, well, that's subjective. I don't believe that. Well, I don't know. My wife gets a lot of joy from me. She says, I'm a model husband. I asked her what that means. What do you mean a model husband? She said, a small imitation of the real thing. So she has a little bit of, of joy there. 
But I don't think most people can tell you why they, they believe God, or they'll say, well, the Bible says this. Well, I don't believe the Bible. Or I feel it inside. Well, that's subjective. You ate a pizza, and that's why you feel that way. Um, like that. So I want to I talk to you about God and the existence of God, where you know reasons why you believe in God. Have you ever had a time in your life when you wonder? Things are going really bad, and you think, man, sometimes I just wonder if God is out there, you know, and you wonder about it. And I said that God was the most perfect being, and there's no greater being that can be conceived of. Therefore, he must exist. Now, the last part is what throws people. It's really abstract. We all believe God is the greatest being of which no greater can be conceived. You say, that's right. He's God. He couldn't be any better, or he wouldn't be God in the first place. He couldn't be any less, or he wouldn't be God. And he's the greatest being of which no greater can be conceived. Therefore, he must exist. Why? What do you mean, therefore, he must exist? Because it's the nature of God to exist. If he didn't exist, he wouldn't be God. God is a necessary being. He has necessary being. And he has to exist. It's his nature to exist. Think of a triangle. A triangle has three sides. If a triangle didn't have three sides, it wouldn't be a triangle. If God didn't exist, he wouldn't be God. You say, well, I've got this idea in my head about God that doesn't exist. You see, it's better to exist in reality than it does just in your mind. And so if you think you have a God that doesn't exist, I have a better God, a God that does exist, because he's the greatest God of which no greater can be conceived. You know, I went to a church with a, a pastor, and I was talking about people in the future, and God knows what they're going to do and decisions they're going to make. And he says, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think God knows what decisions people are going to make in the future. And my God is omniscient. He knows everything. So my God is greater than your God because your God doesn't think that he knows that kind of thing. But he does. He knows all that. In other words, uh, he didn't think that God knew what would happen to a person. You know, the Bible even teaches that God knows contingencies. If you would have done this, he knows what would have happened. You know? And so, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out. God is uh, an uncaused cause. I don't want to sound heady or over people's heads. I told my wife this on the way here. I didn't want to sound that way. I want to put cookies on the bottom shelf. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He didn't say feed my giraffes. I don't want to talk over the head of anybody. And uh, I want to try to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, not use big words like in the college or like that. Actually, I found it better there if I put the cookies on the bottom shelf, too. Right, Scott? Anyway, <laughs> now, I always pick on Scott. I'm glad he's here. Uh, let me give you another reason for believing in God. It's an argument from design. You look everywhere, and there's design in the universe. Design demands a designer. Design demands a designer. And everywhere you look in this world... There is design. Therefore, this world has to have a designer. And from the biggest thing you can think of to the smallest thing you can think of and everything in between, there is intricate design, which requires a designer. 
in mind, in thought, in plans, from Bode's Law of Astronomy, the biggest things you can think of, the Bohr-Rutherford theory of atoms, the smallest thing, everything in between, your, your mind, your body, your, your human hand. There's so many things that have such intricate design, it requires a designer. I can't believe scientists who study certain things, like say DNA, and can't believe and can't see the design that's there, greater than any computer program they ever saw, and not see a designer there. So, I mean, you don't have an explosion in a car factory and produce a car, right? No. You look at a car and there's intricate design, and you say somebody designed that. Design demands a designer. There was a famous person named William Paley. He lived from 1743 to 1805. And William Paley was famous for an example of walking across a vacant lot and, and picking up a watch. And he didn't say, look what's spontaneously generated here. He had this watch and he opened it. He saw all kinds of design. There's springs and there's there's wheels turning. It's made of brass so it won't rust. It's got a clear face so you can see the time. And he looked at that and he thought, design demands a designer. Nobody in his right mind would think that was spontaneously generated. It had a designer. And the whole world everywhere has design. Uh, even things like art. You can take a most beautiful work of art, and you know right away it had a designer, it had an artist. The world is the most perfect work of art, because it had the most perfect artist. Now, we've had the fall, and things were affected. If I had a million dimes and drew the most beautiful picture of the world on the ground in dimes, you'd look at that and you'd say, boy, that required quite an artist. Somebody with mind and intelligence and thought and talent and all that. You wouldn't say, well, look what spontaneously happened there. Uh, you wouldn't do that. And if somebody walked through those dimes and moved some of them with their feet accidentally, you could still look at that design and know there's great design. There's, there's a designer. This whole world had a fall. It's not perfect. It's the most beautiful work of art, but it's not perfect because of the fall. But you can still see it. And so uh, that's interesting. There's all kinds of design in in your mind, in your body. Uh, I, I can't help thinking about what's called irreducible complexity. There's certain things in your body, if you take them out, you're dead. You can cut your foot off, you can cut your arm off, and you're okay. But there's certain things, you're not going to take out your heart or your lungs or different things like that. You need them all together at one and the same time. It's called irreducible complexity. It's like a car. If you take out the pistons, it won't run, or the spark plugs, it won't run. You can take a tire off, you can bend the fender, but if you take certain things off, then it won't run. You are a great design because you have irreducible complexity in your, in your body, and that's by design. Probably one of the best examples of irreducible complexity is a mousetrap. You have a mousetrap, this is a famous example. If you take any one of those parts off that mousetrap, it won't work. 
you take the spring off or the latch or any of it, you need all five parts all there at one and the same time or it won't work. And that's a matter of design. It wasn't an accident. It didn't just happen that way. Somebody designed it that way. Okay. So uh, anyway, I don't want to belabor the point because we're living on time, but design demands a designer. And philosophers for years have spoken about this. By the way, these things I'm telling you, the argument from just God is being, in the philosophy of theology, it's called the ontological argument. That's the word I didn't want to use. It's the argument from being. The argument from design is the teleological argument. That's what they call it. I call it the argument from design because people know what you're talking about. We're going to talk about the uh, argument from cause and effect and from the mental and moral nature of man and different things. They have these fancy names, but uh, they all tell us about God. And so I want to go to the next one. Um, I think the next one I want to tell you about, and it's one of my favorite, is the argument from the mental and moral nature of man. You have a mental nature, you can think, right? You have a moral nature, right? Where did that come from? An argument before this would be what's called the cosmological argument, the argument from cause and effect. Everything that you see in this world is an effect, and it has a cause. Something caused it. You can point to anything, and something caused it. And the cause is always greater than the effect. It's always greater than the effect. The effect is never greater than the cause. God caused everything. There are scriptures that say that God made everything. Uh, Hebrews 3, 4 says, Every man buildeth a house, but he that buildeth all things is God. There's cause and effect. There's an effect, a house, man built it. And he that builds all things is God. Uh, it says in Romans that the invisible things of God are clearly seen. Romans 1, 19, 20. The invisible things of God are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. It's saying you can look around at things that are made and know that there's a God. The Bible says in Psalm 14, one, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. You think, well, that's harsh. That's way harsh. Call a guy a fool just because he doesn't believe in God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Why is that? Um, because the invisible things of God are clearly seen. You can look at the things that are made and know that there's a God. You know, when you get 74 years old like I am, you lose your train of thought sometimes. <laughs> Cause and effect. Anyway, when it comes to God, he's always here. He's what's called an uncaused cause. He's not contingent. He's not dependent like we are on anything. The ground of his existence is within himself. He's always here and he'll always be here. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? God will always be here to help you in your problems. With all these things that we're going through, God will be here and he'll always be here. 
he'll never go away. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so he'll always be here with your problems. And he's not going not gonna to leave you. When it comes to your mental and moral nature, this is one of my favorites for this reason. You hear about evolution and all that. We came from some pre-mortal soup or some slime or something like that. The effect is never greater than the cause. If you have a mental and moral nature, guess what? You didn't get that from a rock. You didn't get that from a tree. You didn't get that from some prebiotic soup because it doesn't think. And it can't give you a mental nature and a moral nature because it doesn't have one. See what I'm saying? Whatever gave you your mental nature and your moral nature has to be mental and has to be moral and has to have a mind and intelligence and all of that. And so we have a conscience, for example. My way of thinking, a conscience is a contrivance. And a contrivance requires a contriver, somebody to make the contrivance. You have this conscience, you have this feeling of law within, which implies a lawgiver without. You have this feeling of judgment, which implies a judge without. You have this feeling of rule, which implies a ruler without. And these feelings that you get, these feelings of ill desert, these feelings of guilt and different things like that, is not self-imposed. It comes from without of you. And if you could get rid of it, you would. It's like David said, my sin is ever before me. These feelings of ill desert and the things that happen because of guilt and like that. It's not self-imposed. It's there by God. And so uh, you look at these different arguments for the existence of God, and without ever mentioning the name of God, you could describe God. You look at one argument, and it shows that he's powerful. You look at another one, it shows that he's mental and that he's moral. You look at another one, it shows he's got great intelligence and like that. And you get done listing all of these things, and what you've done is you've described uh, God, and uh, even though you never mentioned his name. There are several arguments for the existence of God, but my point is, there is a God, he does exist, he loves you, he knows everything about you, he knows everything that's going on in your life, and even if you don't understand, it's okay. I told you a simple illustration once before when I spoke with you about the boy who built a boat and he loved it and he got out beyond his reach in the lake and he was panicking so he asked a bigger boy to help him and the bigger boy came over started throwing rocks out of the boat and the guy went nuts but he watched and as the rocks went over the boat it brought it closer and closer to the shore now that's the way God is we don't always understand what he's doing but he's working for us and all things are going to work together for good um, for us. So there's an argument that's called the argument from congruity, which means harmony. If you walk down a hallway, a long hallway, had a hundred doors on each side, and you had a key, and it fit every single door, you probably have the right key. Wouldn't you say so? Well, a belief in God is the right key that explains everything in the universe better than anything else. 
Now, people want to make you feel stupid, like Christians are stupid. You don't have to put your mind on the shelf. A belief in God, by the way, I see that, uh, <laughs> unless you're fanning yourself. It makes more sense to believe there is a God than it does there isn't. There's just as many arguments for the existence of God that there isn't. And I'm going to tell you this. There's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. You get things coming down and blowing up all around you, all of a sudden, they're not an atheist anymore. God, help me get out of this. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you never have to apologize for being a Christian. Uh, and uh, you don't have to put your brains on the shelf. It's a leap into the light. It's not a leap into the darkness. Okay, I'm just going to finish because I'm blind and I don't know where I am. And I don't have a clock, and so I'm just going to finish with something. Uh, talk about putting cookies on the bottom shelf. I'll give you a third-grade story that ought to get the point of what I'm saying about trusting God, and he's put things in you that keep you going, all the promises like that, and you should meditate on those things. And by the way, this COVID stuff, the riot stuff, and all that kind of stuff, God has given you time. Think about this. How many times do you say, oh, gee, I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to go look for a job or spend time with my kids. Guess what? I'm not saying God caused this to give you more time, but you have time right now to do all those things, to get closer to God. Like Peter, to keep your eyes on Jesus and to work on that. He's given you time to do that. So use this time. Instead of wasting it in an hour uh, watching some mindless TV thing, do something else with it. Do something better, and that'll, that'll help you. And God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And if you stop and meditate on the things he's given you, the positional truths of the Bible, uh, it will really give you strength. And I'm afraid a lot of Christians don't have any depth. And so things come up like this, these tragedies and things that are going on, and they don't have any depth, depth to get them through. So take this time and get some depth. Read your Bible, study your Bible, learn some things, get closer to God, and it will help you get through all of these things. Now, here's my third grade deal. This is putting the cookies on the bottom shelf. A little brown cork floated in front of a whale who lashed it down with his angry tail. But in spite of its blows, it quickly arose and it floated serenely before his nose. Said the cork to the whale, you can sputter and flap and frown, but I'm made of stuff that's buoyant enough to float instead of to drown. How many of you get that? <laughs> Are you made of stuff that's buoyant enough to float instead of to drown? Uh, I hope you are. Lord, we thank you for all the things you've done for us.